Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Simplicity is the ultimate sophistication, says Mr. Ramesh Venkateshwaran, chairman and volunteer at Vishwas, a society for mental health. Mr. Venkateshwaran has traveled from the corporate world to being a management consultant and teacher at IIM Bangalore and headmaster at Lawrence School, Uti. His book, The Happiness Trail, is an amalgamation of this journey and the appreciation for mental health services, which is very much needed today. There are so many mental health books in the market, mm-hmm. from the basics to the advanced versions, according mm-hmm. to the writers. So you've mentioned the idea of putting your thoughts in a book was initiated by a friend. Mm-hmm. Was there a reason why you didn't think about it or you didn't relate to it before that mention was made? Oh, no, no, not at all. Actually, this book has been in my mind for about maybe 15 years, 12 to 15 years. Well, I started talking about this topic maybe in a serious manner about maybe 15 years ago. Okay. And uh, it evolved over a period of time. So the topic was largely because, you know, I moved out from the corporate world uh, into a management consulting world. Mm-hmm. And one day I just found myself in the world of school teaching as a headmaster of a school. Okay. And uh, two years later, I was the head of a B school full time into education when I'm a hardcore corporate, corporate ma- salesman, marketing person. But so when I went to the school and the school also happened to be my alma mater. And therefore, there was a lot of heart in that, not just, uh, it was not a job. And I went for, obviously, if somebody called me who is not a background, uh, who, was an, who was an alum, alumnus of the place, there must have been reasons. So there is a history to that. Mm-hmm. So it was really at that time that I started talking about what are we doing in life? What are children doing? What's happening? And it was largely focused actually on values and integrity. It was more on, on that. It was... Somewhere later, maybe five, seven years later, uh, so I started building this into my curriculum. In, in, okay. in, I would induct, I would talk to the 11th and 12th standard uh, students on this and then have discussions with them, debates with them. Then when I went to the Mysore Business School, I actually made this my first, um, what I would call a first day, first show kind of thing in the, in the induction. Okay. All okay. new students, would, I, w- I would ask them to watch a film called A Man for All Seasons. Mm-hmm. It was a 1967 award-winning, seven Academy Award-winning films. And it had made an impact on me as a 16-year-old, 17-year-old, which I realized only in 2005 when I went to head the school. So I would make them watch the film and uh, we would have a discussion on that. So they would all have to sit in the auditorium and watch the film. And then I would sit and debate, discuss what does it mean? What does it, what does it involve? What were the scenes they liked? What are the implications? So that was going on. And then I built it into my strategy class at, at the Institute of Management, where I've been teaching for the last so many years. So the mail from my friend only triggered uh, uh, structuring it slightly differently. So okay. mail from my friend came about seven, eight years ago, which said, we're all getting old. We've got grandkids. This, that. <laughs> what are the five things you will leave behind for your grandchildren to lead a meaningful and 
And uh, then many of my students would come and tell me, you know, you got to write this into a book. You got to make a book out of this, make a book out of it. And I, therefore, that book idea, which was being triggered by my my students and my family, and this idea from my friend sort of synthesized about maybe two, three, three years ago, okay. and said, okay, great, let me expand this and and create it. So that's really where it went. So it's not so much a mental health book. It's not even a self-help book. Somebody asked me, is it a self-help book? Um, I, I, I joked with that person to say, it's actually a self-actualizing book. I had to actualize myself right. and write it. Uh, in the process, the, the feedback has been extremely positive and I, 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 I'm a double whammy winner, winner in that. And if I may, I absolutely enjoyed reading the book. And when you first suggested that I go ahead and get the book um, and you said it's it's very it's a layman can understand it. It's very simple. I I didn't know if maybe that's how simple it could be. But when I read it, I realized that you exactly said what the book would be. And it was so easy to self-actualize with the book and relate to so many life instances. So thank you so much for putting the book out. I always joke with people. You see, one of my, one of my, even in my strategy class, this is my mantra. So at the end of my course, most students will say the one single point I take away from this course. And for me, that is simplicity is the ultimate sophistication. It's extremely difficult to be simple. And I say, if you can keep it simple, You've, you've achieved a lot. So, and the second thing I always tell my students jokingly is whatever I ask you to read, read it because you'll be damn sure that even I understand it. And <laughs> if I can understand it, you will understand it. So I don't know how to make it more complex than that. Um, <laughs> so in the, in the third part of the book, uh, in part three of the book, there is stress, anxiety, dilemmas, which have been discussed. Um, in simple ways, of course, which today is a way of life, unlike with our ancestors. And I, I believe that very strongly. Um, simplicity and decisiveness, like you just said, the sim simple aspects of it can, and can make things sophisticated. So simplicity and decisiveness are quite the challenge, you know, given the wide range of possibilities and opportunities described by the internet. And the variety of articles, blogs, books that are being put out. So how will, it, will a book like The Happiness Trail help? Okay, very, very, that's a very valid question. So let me just put my, you, actually the first part of my book talks about stress. The last part talks about the dilemmas. I just sort of come back a full circle. Okay. I talk about stress. Okay. What's In fact, my first part is about what's happening in the world today. It's setting a context as to why the five eyes are relevant and important and so on. And your question is very valid. So, you know, um, how will this book help? So th this may be a slightly long answer because this is the context for the whole book. This is how the book got evolved over, over so many years. Uh, one of the things I say, and I have not put it in the book, but I, I use this analogy in classes, um, one of the things I say is that, uh, why is it relevant to the audience today? I mean, it's relevant at any time, but why is it more relevant to an audience of anywhere between below 40, 45 years old? And let's say I, anybody above 20 might read this book, 80 to 20. <laughs> I mean, I don't expect anybody to go to a bookshop and buy this book. 
I mean, you know, it's very interesting. Uh, today's Times of India, yesterday's Times of India, I'll send this to you. Yesterday's Times of India actually says happiness is being made a subject to be taught in Madhya Pradesh schools. It's a it's a newspaper headline piece. Wow. So so it, it's it's interesting. So somebody said they must have read your book and decided to put it into the <laughs> syllabus. <laughs> that's that's very Maybe. flattering. <laughs> very flattering. But let's look at what's happening today. I'm comparing, let's say, me with you. Right? Mm-hmm. Let's say your generation and one little younger to you. Let's say. Uh, see, we. I like to use the analogy of life being a journey. You're flowing in a stream, and you you start somewhere and you end somewhere. Now, when we took at my life, your parents' life, maybe your grandparents' life, our journey was on a stream which was a very gently flowing stream. Uh, right. The the stream flowed; that there was no current. You got into a boat. You moved on. <laughs> Unlikely that you could go wrong on that journey. You know, it'll meander over somewhere. The water was shallow, six inches. You won't drown. You won't capsize. You hit some little bit and then you move on. You know, the point I'm trying to make is the pace of life that we led, the way we led life was amazingly uncomplicated and simple. Mm. And therefore, whatever we did, we couldn't go too wrong in it. By and large, you get where you want to go. Today I say that you are you're a generation which is moving into what I call whitewater rafting and rapids and, and, and things like that. Yeah. So you get onto a boat, you better have the skills, you better have a strategy, you better know what you're doing. Because one of two, three things can happen. One is you capsize and fall into the water, you're finished. Or you are navigating yourself and then you go and crash against a bank and then you wonder, what am I doing over here? And you go over a waterfall and that's the end. The point I'm trying to make is today's life journey needs a lot more of thinking and planning and, and, and introspection, if you want to call it so. And therefore, I feel that we need to take stock of ourselves far more than people like who are, let's say, 60 plus. The people who are who born in the 50s and the 60s. Uh, nothing could happen that could substantially upset things for us. Right. And that is the reason why this book is written for that group of people. It's written for an 18 to 30 years, 40 year old people. I, of course, say if you're 45 plus, then you have children who need inputs and you could guide them. Mm-hmm. And I say, if you're 60 plus, you have grandchildren is the <laughs> ideal thing to talk. Because yes. This was actually my son-in-law's dictat to me. And he kept telling me, you need to write a book for your grandson and granddaughter. And I finally told him, this is the book. So I would think, I would think it's not a self-help group, uh, book. It's not so much a self-help book. It's more a, a stock-taking book, a stock-taking introspection book. So that is why I, if in the first part of the book, I talk so much about stress, social media, what's happening, what's not happening, the pressure to win, the pressure to conform, the pressure to perform. None of this was here because, you know, let's look at it this way, Pallavi. When we were born, we had one car to choose from and that was all the car you had. So, you know, you are proud of the fact that you owned a car for 20 years. You owned a refrigerator for 25 years. You proudly told people. Today, your son or daughter or grandchild are, is probably not, not, not ama- quite amazed and maybe a little awkward that you have actually continued to use that fridge for the last five years. You haven't changed it. <laughs> right. So the point I'm making is the social fabric has changed substantially. Mm. And therefore, today, I think when you're moving ahead in life, you need to give it a lot more thought. 
than what we needed to give. And, and that was really the content. The second, third part, I can come to it separately if you we can talk about it. The dilemmas, it leads from the first part right. to saying, because of all this, you are in a fix. You are, you'll, you'll face a lot of crossroads. Right. So you'll face a lot of crossroads in life where you have to take a decision. And the five eyes helps you take that decision. Yes, yes. I, I did I did understand that from the reading. And it is surprising, if, even with everything you've said right now, it is very surprising how all age groups, not only the millennials or the younger generations, but even the baby boomers, I have I have experienced on a one-on-one level where because of the options, thanks to technology, and I mean the mean this in a good way and a slightly negative way, if I may say so. It's um, their decision-making skills have dropped to such an extent that even uh, because of the variety available, say on Amazon, for example, you want to go and shop, you know what you want to go and buy. Uh, But once you look at the screen, you're just lost. You have no clarity and you want to think about maybe this is not what I wanted to buy. Maybe something something as simple as that. And it is surprising that we're at that stage right now in 2022. And I, it's kind of um, nerve wracking to imagine what, what will be in, in such simple matters. Um, but there, the, your book really, really helps, you know, um, bring, bringing perspective into, you know, a layman, layman's thought process of a, a daily, day-to-day lifestyle. And, and there's a quote in the book by Bertrand Russell, which is beggars do not envy millionaires, though of course they will envy other beggars who are more successful. <laughs> I loved it. When I read that, I smiled I, year to year. So could you elaborate on the why and how of this trait uh, and, and w- how we end up um, justifying our own limitations you know, to, uh, to ourselves? Here again, you know, I've addressed it in the book and let me come to the simplest form of the see why do why do people why are we unhappy i mean i'm, I'm not getting into a philosophy see i'm not a philosopher i'm not a social scientist i'm just a salesman and as i call it i'm a marketing guy and as i as i mentioned that the minute you talk of happiness and the minute you talk of all these you know uh, uh, altruistic stuff immediately you you would take values this that you are immediately what I've written in the book, and I say you are co- you quote the Bible, you quote the Quran, you quote the Big Gita, or you quote Plato or uh, Socrates, and that's what I call the wisdom of the ages, you know. But this book is what I call the wisdom of age, just growing old, and uh, <laughs> with age. and therefore there's nothing very sophisticatedly complicated except I've been lucky to read a lot thanks to writing the book. So when you look at it. I'm not, I'm not even getting into difference between pleasure and happiness and meaning and all of that. But mm-hmm. let's say, why do we so-called quote-unquote unhappy? It's because there is a gap between what we expect and what we get. See, the whole business of dissatisfaction happens because of a gap between what I expect and what I actually get. Right. And we can discuss this as a separate topic, but essentially there is a gap. So let's look at where does... Uh, where does this so-called unhappiness come from? The stress. And therefore, when I'm unhappy, I'm stressed. Mm. I, I hope we're okay on that. Yes. If I'm happy, yes. I'm not stressed. Stress, again, I'm using it in the negative sense, though I've said stress is a neutral word. In the book, you will see there is a you stress, good stress, 
and distress the distress, bad stress. Yes. <laughs> but let's not talk worry about. It. Let's use stress as what we understand it as a common in common parlance. Now, so basically, when do I when do I get unhappy? I have an expectation, and I don't have that expectation fulfilled. And this is one of them. Now, the second is I have the expectation. and the second is i see my friends are having something so i envy that person right i envy that person so this is what i think burton russell means i don't envy an ambani for the helicopter yes <laughs> i do not envy a bill gates or a, or a elon musk for what they have i may be envious of them in in a in a very benign way if you want to call it so mm. but but the minute my neighbor or my schoolmate who was a complete dumb guy in school and this guy has when the day he sends me the message saying i just bought my new jaguar or my new uh, thing i'm wondering what what happened how how can this happen and i start getting angry so the challenge here really is the for me i think the triggers for a lot of unhappiness is about between expectation and envy mm. now the expectation is not only mean you know i've written it again you'll know that for us in india or anywhere in the world your parents throw up expectations your yes. your social yes. pressures the expectations comes from everywhere, everywhere. it's not it's not but ultimately you have to decide on what to set your expectation so expectation leads to envy i expect that i am smarter than pallavi and when pallavi has got something i envy you or i envy you and that goes to set my expectations so i think this is this is for me one of the root things now you what burton russell i can i can explain that very beautifully and simply in what the three characteristics of envy the three characters envy is about three things one is somebody has something that i don't have number one second is i want that thing mm -hmm. and the third my not having it and your having it causes me pain now that is why he says when the other beggar has it it causes me pain when elon musk has it i don't care it it doesn't really matter to me so this is what and that is why you know all these things you will find envy and all of this it starts affecting personal relationships it affects social interactions and so on and so on so this is why this book has been written from all these perspectives to say take stock of yourself yes so it's not so much a self help group as i a book as much as a stock taking book you know make an assessment and i definitely feel and i hope that more and more people get a hold of this book because it definitely would help to break down break down and clarify a lot of things within oneself which is very necessary because envy can so easily cause self deprecation it, it, it's quite a synonym if you look at it that way and the three ways that you've explained it and this is another part of social pressures that i wanted to discuss with you which is when it comes to bullying in schools um in colleges now workplaces and even more so within the families itself sometimes it's done consciously maybe because of envy sometimes it's done without realizing it at all but people who are watching it people who are responsible in setups like schools and colleges they don't really do much about it their reaction to it is superficial optimism 
or just simply to acknowledge after a few warnings and then they end up suspending somebody or lay, laying them off or something like that, which is ultimately not a job well done when it comes to mental health issues. Well, you know, when you look at it that way and people need more people who are either on, on the victim side of it or people who are causing it. Both ways, they need more, especially because throughout life as a journey, your personality or your understanding of your own self is, is taking a hit. It's growing. It's forming. Um, there are ups and downs always. So, and, and given the taboo of mental health assistance, even today, um, how, does, how does change come into the system? Can we expect any change at all uh, to come in or are we just going to keep trying? Let me, let me try and break it up into two parts. One is about the mental, uh, the, 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 the school and the uh, schools and colleges and the bullying part of it. Mm -hmm. The second okay. is about acknowledging mental, uh, the need for mental health help. Let's put it that way. Okay. You know, because that could be for a variety of reasons, not just linked to bullying and uh, ragging and all of that. Right. It's a... That's a whole lot of subject. Bullying is bullying and ragging probably are from by people who are victims of that and one at one level. But I would think they're a very small minority of that. Very, very small minority. Mm. Now, when you talk of bullying and thing, I you know I've, I've headed a school and a college and I've been a part of that school. So I've been a student in that school. So I have been both at the receiving end and at the observing end, if you want to call it so. Uh, mm -hmm. And as a senior, I might have been at the giving end also. So I've <laughs> gone through all the stages at one level. I think, you see, I, I, I was talking about this yesterday with somebody. You, you know, it's very difficult. There are two parts to it. One is some people do this just, I think it's part of growing up. Children do it. It's a, Luckily, it's not a majority. Let's be clear about it. I'm, mm -hmm. I'm fairly convinced about that. Some people are just naturally vindictive and, and uh, you know, uh, abusive. Let's put it that way. I think a lot of them... You can't do much in a school because it comes from somewhere else. It comes from their upbringing, their family, their social context, circumstances, and so on and so forth. And to expect the school to do anything about it is extremely, or the school or the college to do anything about it, is very, very difficult because it, it, it's, you know, you're dealing with a thousand kids or two thousand kids and there are five or six or seven or ten of them who do it. I don't think the percentages are much more than that, to be honest with you. I don't think so. Even in my time, with my classmates, we would know three or four guys who would have been bullies when we were young and I was in the, the same residential school. So I'm saying, I knew, we knew that these were the four or five people, seniors who were terrible. We knew that these 15 people were outstandingly nice people, were the same role that they could have played. So I think colleges and schools have a challenge in that they can only do so much and not more than that because that's all they have access to. Having said that, it's again about being, it's, it's about a way of doing it. Now, when I went to Lawrence School, because of my counseling background, because of my alumni connection, because of my school connection, and the little bit of wisdom I had gathered over the years, I learned one thing and knowledge of a boarding school. I told my teachers very clearly that if you see errant, devious beha deviant behavior, do not punish the kid. I would like to first talk to the student. So the right. only one thing I have learned over 30 years of counseling is every, everybody behaves in a way for which there is some cause. Yes. We okay. may not know the cause. We may not be able to identify the cause. We may not have control over the cause. But we do know that nobody behaves randomly. 
Right. It could be childhood, it could be this, it could be that, it could be abusive parents, it could be whatever it may be. So I was lucky I was able to do that to some extent. Mm. But having said that, in large colleges and institutions, you know, it's very, very difficult to, to, to handle it. I, 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 I can only say that I, I, I sympathize, not just empathize, but sympathize with administrators of large organizations uh, which have to do this. Because, you know, the raw material is being sent to you. Mm. You know, when I was the principal of Lawrence, many parents would try this line on me and I would say, don't even try this line on me. <laughs> and they would say, you know, you, we leave your child, our child with you. You are the parents for this. You have, I said, no, no, cut out all this. Right. I said, you are giving the child who is already formed. My job is to mold this into something better, but do not, I cannot be a father and mother for your child. There's no way I can do that. So don't try this because don't try throw the monkey onto my back. No, I will not do that. I will not take that. But this is what people tend to do. So my thing is, my thing is, if if school administration needs to look at really the extremities that you know the extreme uh, cases of of bullying, ragging, mm-hmm. bullying. Typically, I would again differentiate between ragging and bullying. In bullying, I would differentiate between abuse. And normative, let's put it that way. You know, I every house has its bully. I mean, the the, June, the youngest in the house is always bullied by the seniors. Let's face it. You know, it's it's a mild form of bullying. So the youngest who has to get up and get the water. It's the youngest who has to do this. It's the youngest who has to do that. In 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 homes, we accept that saying age age. This gets extended in some form of in some form. Unfortunately, it takes an extreme. Unfortunately. So this is why I said when I was the principal, I said, I want to distinguish between genuine growing up mischief and abusive behavior. I said, I'm very clear that they're two different things. Mm. I'm good with growing up with mischief. I want you guys to be naughty. I don't want a bunch of nerds in my school. On the mental health part, you know, uh, I think things have changed. The tragedy is all over the world and India, we are, I can see the difference in the last 30 years. Mental health always has a stigma that the minute you say mental health, it's all about madness. It's about madness. You know, that's it. And the the, the reality is you need two two things to make you healthy. You need physical health and you need mental health. A healthy body and a healthy mind is something that you need. And the unfortunate reality is the physical affects the mental, the mental affects the physical. You know, psychosomatic problems and so on and so forth. Yeah. Now, this acknowledgement, in my view, is coming gradually in the last 30 years. Fair amount of change. Because when you talk of mental health, again, there is a whole lot of... You're, you're talking about a lot of things that can be there. There is major mental illness. There's minor mental illness. See, all of us goes through our ups and downs. Mm-hmm. We all go through our, it's nobody's perfect. We, we, you know, I feel low, I feel this, I feel nervous before an exam. I'm anxious before the grades come. I'm, uh, I'm angry with somebody. But then, you know, we all have our ups, we come back to normal. We have our ups, come back to normal. This is what we call transient situational stress factors. It's transient, it's situational. The simplest example I can give, which all of us can relate to is when somebody very close to us passes away. You know, your monk, your thinking gets clouded, your ability to think rationally gets cl- gets impeded and so on. Now, that's a stress factor, but that's not, you're not mentally ill, but you're still mentally at that point of time, dysfunctional. 
Correct. In some Correct. form or the other. Yeah. So we need to differentiate between the two. So today, I think people are slowly realizing that a large amount, many of us, there are are going through what you might call transient situational disorders. And those things are take care, get taken care of by people like us in counseling. And then you have the major mental illnesses, which are really from the body. It's, it's chemical, it's chemical uh, you know, uh, actions that are taking place. Mm-hmm. There you need medication. No amount of counseling is going to help you. Okay. So I think when we talk of mental health, we need to understand the categories of mental health, the dimensions of mental health, and so on. So today the stigma is going, why do I say that, you know, we have in 30 odd years, we must have seen about 17, 18,000 people in, in Vishwas mm-hmm. for a completely free service organization. We have never charged a rupee in, in 31 years. We are all volunteers. We have never been paid a rupee in 31 years. Wow. But 18,000 people come. Today, a, 90% of the people who walk into our doors come in because of a reference of somebody who has come to us. That okay. is a clear indication to say the stigma is moving. At least to those who have come to it see the benefit of it. And they're able to. Maybe we still have a long way to go. Yeah, but sure. slowly and steadily, it is sort of breaking I down uh, the walls of it. That's yes. wonderful. Before we go, uh, this has been a wonderful talk and I definitely want to have maybe a a second session of this. But before we go today, I'd like to read an an excerpt from your first chapter in the book. It says here, in their continuous anxiety to get the best opportunities for their children at various stages of their growing up, parents experience high levels of anxiety. And this anxiety naturally gets transferred to their children who are often on journeys not necessarily of their own making, but those decided by the parents. So I read this and the rest of the paragraph once, I read this for the second time and then for the third time. Mm -hmm. Nowadays, younger couples choose not to have children or or are open to um, surrogacy and adoption. So do you think that maybe these traits of parenthood could uh, be positively influenced by these changes? I don't, I, 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 I'm, again, you know, my, my disclaimer is I'm not a social scientist. I personally don't think so. I personally okay. don't think so. I think, I think it's just that the way things have changed, again, if you look at it, uh, uh, I, I, I can see this relating to, you know, my, my, my peers, my life, my own personal life and so on. What's happening today is, one is a sense of independence, a sense mm. of not wanting to be crowded by responsibilities. Right. So there are many, many people who say, I, we don't want children. We don't. In fact, what surprises me, Pallavi, is why people get married in this current generation, to be honest with you. <laughs> I've asked a lot of people that. They don't have an answer. I've asked a lot of youngsters that. And funnily, they don't have an answer. They just smile it off. Because it's, it's like this. See, these are the things that have fascinated me. Uh, so when you talk about uh, children and family and all, the, the worldview is changing. I find that there are lots of my children's friends who want two, three children. There are lots of them who don't want children at all. So I don't know if there is a trend in any one which way, to be honest with you. I don't think personally speaking, I have seen enough of my sons and daughters' friends who, who, who are actually happy with two or three kids. There is somebody who says one and no more. Mm-hmm. And there are people who say never a kid. 
I don't know if it's 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 and I think they all come from good stable families it's not that they come from it I think it's the world view of what are they looking for in life they're looking for in life and and in some ways I think the the the, the 20 30 year old of today is very different from a a 30 year old of 30 years ago right. let's look at it in a very simple manner I keep telling my in my family I keep telling my family I said you know the way we molly coddle our children when they're 35 and 40 My grandmother was a grandmother at 40. Everybody's in that generation. In that generation, know. yes. So I am saying today the world is at, I, I am saying at, at 29, 30, 31, 32, my grandmother was looking after a kid, two kids, three kids. <laughs> today, my, children at 31, young people at 31 find it difficult to get up at 10 o'clock in the morning. They get up at two o'clock in the afternoon. So we are not living in the same world. We, at 32, a 32-year-old today hasn't grown up from 16. And a 32 of 35 or 60 years ago, God, the kind of responsibility that he or she was taking on their shoulder was huge. Huge. You know? So yes. I think, so therefore, I was, we, we keep talking about this. Amount. The generation today has the luxury of doing things and not worrying about it. Yeah, you know? and so, choosing the amount of responsibility they would want exactly. to take in their lives exactly. Right. exactly and i think many many of them i don't know if this is true but you know this is an old man's hypothesis <laughs> that many of them today so i asked this question when two people are living in for 3 4 5 years i've asked a lot of my young friends on this question and they suddenly decide to get married i said why would you want to do something like this <laughs> right. it doesn't make sense to me it actually doesn't make sense to me i would only make one observation on what what i it for me it really doesn't matter whether one gets married or doesn't get married you have a children or don't get children or my book is all about think about it and do something after thinking that's all it will not happen naturally because our stream just let us flow today it's a lot more of a thought process we we didn't have to work on relationships today you have to work to keep a relationship going yeah it's not going to happen naturally so i am just saying understand the dynamics of the world today i am not for a moment suggesting you should get married or you shouldn't get married i used to tell my children that i'm not even suggesting that but i said if you are going to get married there is a suitable time to get married when your life for the next 30 40 years can be comfortable absolutely that's all i'm saying you know but i'm not an advocate of marriage i'm not an advocate of celibacy so my five eyes in that book is really it's really so if i can close this i will close it i mean if i can you see it's not a self help group but as i say you can look at this elephant from so many different perspectives books have been written millions of books have been written this is one more but this is for me a very simple thing as i said it's a gps a gps and again if you read the book you know that you know we are all actually why are we doing the rat race because we want to be successful because we know success equal to happiness but ha- success is not equal to happiness is we have yes. seen it so the point i want to make is these are five ingredients five so you know when i came out of my b school i had this fabulous boss who who was a ruthless guy but a lovable boss one day in one of my i just come out of school b school and thought i was the god's gift to mankind <laughs> and he wanted a report written and i said sir you know i'll take me some time and this and that he says wait a minute for me he says don't give me all this he's a ba from somewhere <laughs> and then he tells me he says you know you're like a chatwala we are all like chatwalas so i said what do you mean by chatwala he says let me explain he says when you go to a chatwala 
when he gives you a menu, how many ingredients do you have? How many menu items do you have? I'll say it depends depending on whether you go to Aldiram or you go to somebody else, but you may get anywhere from 100 to 300 items. Right. He says, yes. and he says, tell me how many ingredients does he have to make the charts? I would say about eight, 10 major ingredients. He says, mm-hmm. exactly. He says, that's it. Life is about working with eight, 10 ingredients. And the chartwala skill comes in, is, is in only two things. One is he knows what ingredient can do what and what it cannot do. And the second is how much of each ingredient to use in different recipes. <laughs> so for me, the five eyes are, these are broad areas you can work on. You decide which one is more or less for you, which one you want to work on, which one you don't want to work on. But for me, I, uh, these five eyes, you can't go wrong. And, and therefore, my last favorite one is, it's like a chawan prash. Because a chawan prash, if you have, if you're lucky, it will do you good, but it will certainly not do you harm. That is the reason why I think today's generation needs to think through this a little more. Absolutely. Thank you so much for making time and doing this with me. And like I said, I definitely would like for more sessions with you, but we will plan on that and work around your schedule. My first conversation with Mr. Venkateshwaran was a casual one, but it brought clarity to my path with Kathas. And I will always be grateful for that time he gave me that day. There's a lot more where that came from. And if you would like to connect with his team at Vishwas, you can email me at kathas.podcast at gmail.com and we can take it from there. Our next episode is with a young, passionate and determined founder Meghna Murthy, who has impacted many young lives with her work at Smitham. Coming to Kathas, aside from connecting with changemakers from across the globe, we have regular episodes and blogs that get published. The links are available below. If you have a story to share, do email me or you can go to our website kathas.com. And until next time, cheers to your happy place and spread the love. Mm-hmm.